With all the festivity last week, celebrating Easter and all the events of Holy Week, uh, our family had a milestone. My daughter turned 14 last week, and so praise God. Yeah. So have a a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old boy, so it's kind of a different season of life and parenting for us. The kids are very um, independent and, you know, can be trusted for the most part, to, to do the things they need to do. And uh, it's easier to leave them alone uh, because they you know, take care of their own homework and they can usually scrounge together a meal if they get hungry. And so um, these are all good things. But usually when, when we leave them, there's kind of one instruction, maybe one final thing you need to say. So, for example, like yesterday I say, all right, I'm going to the office for a couple hours. Mom's out. Um, just need to do one thing, it's, uh, uh, practice your trombone, or uh, clean the turtle tank, or just kind of kind of one, just kind of one instruction. The rest of it, they can take care of themselves. Um, now, when I get back from the office, I don't ask, hey, how'd the afternoon go? Did you find food? Did you do your homework? None of that. It's, did you clean the turtle tank? Did you practice your trombone? It's the one thing. The Gospel of Matthew 28 says this. It says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So imagine if Jesus were to come to us today and say, how are you doing with that last thing I asked you to do when I left? You know, to go and make disciples. You know, how's that going for you? You know, how would you answer that? And... I suppose to, to answer that question, you'd have to know, you know, what is a disciple? Am I a disciple? Um, how would I make one? Am I supposed to do that? Whose job is that really? Isn't that the pastor's job? You know, you're the disciple maker and we're disciples. Is that what this is about? Um, and it's an interesting question, and I want to kind of unpack that today. Well, you know, what is a disciple and is it my responsibility to make one? Uh, in some way, but it's, it's very different than when I leave the house and I ask my kids to just do, you know, one thing while I'm gone, because I'm good at making lists of chores that, you know, they may or may not want to do uh, or would do on their own, um, and that's why it's not even a great analogy, because we're, we're calling this whole sermon series, as we focus on this idea, we're calling it the great opportunity, Because what Jesus left his disciples with was an amazing invitation, an amazing opportunity to be part of God's healing work in this world. And it's important for us to focus on this because I think it's easy to distract ourselves into forgetting that by faith, we have this amazing connection to the God of the universe by faith. And we have this amazing connection to each other by his spirit, which unifies us. And it gives us this beautiful mission to live out in the world. And we are not more special than other people. We're not better than other people. It's that we have experienced something of God's renewing work in our lives. 
And now we have this great opportunity to extend it to others. And Jesus said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, and I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples, and I want you to teach what I taught, and I'm with you. This is an invitation. This is an opportunity for every single one of us in this room. So we're going to explore that together. Let's pray. Father, we just pray now that you would teach us that your Holy Spirit would be very active in us as we consider your word, as we consider what you've called us to, that you would give us faith to to take next steps and to obey and to, to walk with you. We thank you that you are, that indeed, as you promised, that you are with us always and you're with us now. So we continue to give you the glory as we look into this and we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is a disciple? Because Jesus didn't invent discipleship. When we think about disciples, we think, okay, the 12 disciples, this is kind of a Jesus thing. It's not even a uniquely Christian idea. A disciple is just a follower. Um, Discipleship existed before the time of Jesus. It's existed since then. How did the first disciples become disciples of Jesus? He said, come follow me, and they followed him. They were then his disciples. A disciple, therefore, is primarily following after, but learning from and then emulating someone, uh, learning their teaching, their philosophy, their way of life, and adhering to those things. And so your uh, disciple's following a person's teachings and following that person. So in that sense, you could be a disciple of Bill Belichick or Joe Biden or Luke Skywalker, or you could be a disciple of anyone who has a philosophy that you want to follow or emulate. But as a Christian, to be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus and Jesus' teaching. Again, so Jesus said, come follow me. They followed him. And he said, you're truly my disciples if you hold to my teaching. In John chapter 8, Jesus said that. So the question then is, okay, I'm following Jesus, but what is Jesus' teaching? What is the core of his teaching? Well, he told us, he was asked, you know, what the core of his teaching was here, and he gave a very direct answer, and I thank God for that, because Jesus, in, this, in these verses that we're looking at today, he summarizes all of the Old Testament teaching into a very simple statement, and all of his teaching into these really two parts. So take a look, verse 35. So an expert of the law tested Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's to love God with everything that you have. The second commandment, the second main part of Jesus' teaching here, he says this, The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So with these two teachings... And I would add to it Jesus' final instructions to his disciples to now go and make disciples. So to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to go and make disciples is the irreducible core of discipleship, of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And, And we talked about this last week. You know, Jesus made it clear to his followers that as he was completing that part of his work that he came to do, he's now giving them a mission to go and to make disciples. So a disciple of Jesus is devoted to Jesus. 
I'm devoted to Jesus' teaching to love God and to love others, and I'm devoted to Jesus' mission to make other disciples. Now, with that as a very simple definition, there's a couple initial reactions that you could have to this. One reaction is to say, I'm not sure if that's me. I'm not sure if I'm a disciple. Or you might say, I'm pretty sure I'm not. Uh, So this whole thing you're talking about over the next number of weeks, it really isn't for me. You know, when Jesus says, surely I'm with you always to the end of the age, you hear that and say, I'm not sure Jesus is with me ever. If that's you, I'm glad you're here. Because over, through this whole Great Opportunity series, we're going to be looking at how do people come to faith? What is God doing, and what can we do to see people respond in faith to Jesus Christ? And we're going to look at different stories from the Bible and share stories of people we know who've come to faith, and the hope is for you is that you would come to faith, that you could see how God draws people to himself and, and see those dynamics and that you would respond in faith. So this is a, uh, just as Jesus said, hey, come follow me, you know, I just, my invitation is just, hey, just come with us. Listen to these things, and this will be good stuff for you. So if that's you, just keep, just stay with us. You're gonna, this is going to be good. Uh, but for most of us in this room, and as I look around, I know most of you, and you would, I know that most of you would say, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. That's what you described as me. Now, you might say, I'm not a very good disciple. Uh, and I hear people say that. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm just not a good Christian. Um, And I'd caution you there to say, well, wait a minute. How could you not be a good Christian? Because your Christian faith is not based on how good you are, but how perfectly Jesus accomplished his work. Like, you didn't make yourself a Christian. Your faith in Jesus and what he did is what makes you a follower of Jesus. And he did it perfectly. So you can't technically be a bad Christian. I think when people say that, what they really mean is, you know, maybe my faith is more peripheral in my life than than this description of, you know, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, that um, you know, perhaps my, my faith should be more central in my life. And, and we remember that we are people who sit under God's grace, that God's mercy is new every morning, and that he just pours out his mercy towards us, such that we can rightly f- grow and follow him. And it's not just his grace that saves us, but it's transforming us Uh, in propelling us forward into life. And so most of us would say, yeah, okay, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. I want to receive his grace. So the question is, do you accept his mission, this invitation, this great opportunity for your life now to go and to make other disciples? I was joking with, uh, somebody was joking with me this week, because uh, last we were talking about this last week at the Easter service, you know how you know Jesus finished his work and he sends us on mission. And this person, and they give me permission to share this, they said, hey, uh, here's a thought. What if we accept this mission by living our lives, we're going to be really nice to everybody around us, and then when we die, you get up and you preach the gospel, the glorious gospel, and all of our friends will know why we were so nice to them, and then they'll all come to faith in Jesus. Is that a good plan? And, and we were kind of laughing. And I said, well, that's an okay plan, but you need to be careful. 
Because if that's God's call on your life, all of your friends have to outlive you. And if that's what God's calling you to, that means you're going to go first. So just be ready for that. And I will preach the gospel at your funeral, and and perhaps some people will come to faith. But there is this, um, and we laugh, but, you know, it's interesting because the question is, is is this thing you're describing for professionals, you know, for clergy people or, you know, people with special training, um, you know, people with big faith or in some way? You know, it's interesting because, you know, we welcome these five new members into our church today and um, number of confirmation students. And I re- I've read all the faith statements and how it was that these folks came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what I hardly ever see in someone's faith statement is this. I came to faith in Jesus Christ because I met this great pastor. And he was, he just, he was so compelling and such a good preacher. And I just said, you know, I'm going to follow this Jesus. I'm in. That's not a common story. That does happen. You know, praise God, that'll happen from time to time. But for the most part, people write out their faith journey. And it's about a community of people, of normal people, more or less, who love Jesus who were sharing Jesus' love. Maybe it was just parents who were sharing the love of Jesus with their children or a neighbor or an invitation they got. But it's, it's hardly ever just focused on a, a professional Christian, say. You know, Jesus, when he called his first disciples, this journey of discipleship, he said, come follow me and I'm going to make you something. And Jesus didn't say, I'm going to come follow me and I'll make you nicer. I'll make you a better parent. I'll make you more honest. I'll make you more sober. I'll make you what he said, I'm going to make you fisher of men. I'm going to make you someone who takes this kingdom message and and give it to the people around you and it's going to draw more people in to this thing. That's what I'm going to make you into if you follow me. It's just this way of life is just a natural trajectory of our faith. It's if, if I'm a disciple, that means I'm committed to Jesus. I'm committed to his teaching, so to, to love God and to love my neighbor as myself, and to, I'm committed to his, to, to his mission to seek and save the lost. So if people are growing in their love of God and their love of others, they're going to live this way of life. They're going to reproduce spiritually. Disciples will make disciples. It's just, it's just very natural. It'll almost happen by accident, in a sense, where if your priority is Jesus in his way and his teaching, then you're following after that. And it becomes almost an impossibility to not live this way. And we think of people, at least in the scriptures, that God called to mission and they decided to go a different direction. The prophet Jonah, I commend to you, where God called him to go and preach to a specific group of people. And he said, actually, God, I'm going to go, literally, I'm going to travel in a different direction. And God by all means that God needs to use, will pull people back to the mission he's called them to. So it's, it's actually living the way that God has called us. You think of somebody, a man named Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, he, you know, that God had a calling on his life to, to travel and to teach, um, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, but he was against Jesus, he was against Christians. He was uh, arresting and persecuting and even killing Christians. And then Jesus just stops him in his tracks 
and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? That you can't you can try to run away from this, but if God is calling you to a beautiful mission, you will never be satisfied until you start to walk in this way. And the question for us is, you know, what are we going to devote our life to? Life is inherently wearying. The things that we do tire us out. The work that you do the way that you live your life causes you to get tired at the end of the day and you fall asleep at some point every day. Life is wearying. The question is, am I weary for the right things, for the sake of God and what he's called me to do? And so this is a very just natural way of life for people of faith. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's, it becomes, when we start to talk about it this way, it becomes a task that perhaps we'd prefer not to do. We would love to live sort of a privatized faith. And actually, the world around us would also love it if you lived just very private faith. Because culturally, that's very acceptable to just, your faith is what you do, you know, in private, on your own, and you kind of leave it in that place. And considering this way of life is actually a risk for me, too, as, as a leader, to, to say, okay, we're going to get together. I would love to just give you something that just makes you feel good, and you go home, and you can just kind of keep it to yourself and make you feel better and be encouraged, and you come back next week. But instead, we're, I'm pointing you and me together to live on mission, to live a different way, which is much more open. But this is the great invitation. And as we walk down this road, we're going to see, I know we will, we're going to see the beauty of it. We're going to see God at work. We're going to experience life as God intended for us. And we're going to see his kingdom growing. I suppose one other objection would be if you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor, this sounds nice, this sounds really wonderful, but you don't know how bad I'm hurting right now. Sure, I'd love to be part of someone else's spiritual journey and finding God, but I'm in tough shape here. You know, Jesus says, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Say, you know what, I'm not even sure I love myself. If you feel like you hate yourself or you hate your life or you're just so just down in a dark place, how am I, how am I ever going to walk along someone else? I have my needs here, too. To you, I'd say this. Remember Jesus. Remember that his mission included deep suffering and anguish. And we're called to follow him as we live this life. And yet, as Scripture says, it was for the joy set before him that he endured that cross. It was for joy to complete his mission. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In your dark place, God will be your comfort and your source, and you then get to be a comfort to others. 
We're all, in that sense, we all become wounded healers as we live this way of life. And Jesus said, I'm with you always as you do this. So what does it look like? How do we live as disciples of Jesus who accept this mission and then we are now somehow to be a disciple maker in our lives? So answering that question is what we're going to look at over the next number of weeks. Um, again, this is the great opportunity. We're going to flush this out. My hope for you is to make it very practical, things that you can do, things that are very simple, uh, a way of, of living that is just, it's just going to flow. Uh, last, it was funny last week, after we had a beautiful Easter celebration. I mean, it was just such a great um, time to worship together. But after the service, two things, there's only two things that people were saying to me after the service. One was, Chrissy did an amazing job yeah. with a spoken word, right? And the second thing was, I want to hear more about your conversation about the marijuana. What does God think about marijuana? Like, you people, of all the things that we said and did today, those are the two, that's the only two things you care about. And, um, and somebody said, yeah, my family members were leaning in and listening real close when you brought it up. And so that, that conversation as I had it then ended before I was able to say anything profound or even in any way meaningful. Um, but again, my point in that was say, look, the, these types of relationships and conversations are so simple. They happen all the time. It's just a matter of being open to what God is doing through them. So I'm not going to answer the question today, but now that you're so interested, and I've now learned that this is just a burning question, so to speak, in your mind, I, uh, I didn't do that on purpose. The, the, I, I will address it before the end of the series. Okay, but you have to come back. Um, but here's your task for this week. What I want you to do is go about your week normal, and I want you to make a mental list of the people that you see. So the place, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, the things that you do, just go about your week and just look at people. Who's there? How are they doing? How is Jesus good news to those people? What does God think of those people that I see? And I want you to just... Pick one person, maybe somebody who's far from God, and I just want you to pray for one of those people. You know, Jesus was always focused on the one. He preached to big crowds, and that was great, but he would preach to a big crowd, but he calls one tax collector out of a tree to go to his house. He's, he's got a crowd around him and people pressing, but he wants to know who's the one person who touched him. And he's... he's the, the woman at the well, the one person at the pool, the blind beggar he stopped to talk to. He was, there was always that one person that he would focus on. And I'm just, just asking, you know, who would you be willing to pray for? Now, however you normally pray for yourself or whatever that looks like, just add that one person to your prayer. Say, God, God, I just pray blessing to this one person. I, I lift them to you. I don't even know what to pray. I lift them to you. Now, you might say, Pastor, I pray for people all the time. I have lists and notebooks full of all the people I pray for. Praise God. I want you to just focus on one person, one of those many people. Pray for all of them, but focus on the one. And say, God, I lift this person to you. Let us pray. Father, as we begin this journey, as we really embrace this way of life that you've called us to, Lord, we do pray that we would know your presence with us. 
that we would know that your kingdom is advancing. As your word says, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That we, Lord, we do desire to, to, to not only receive from you your grace, but to be givers of grace, to love as we go. May we truly live out your teaching to love you, God, with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength, and to truly love others excellently, Lord. We thank you for every breath that we have and for every great opportunity we have to know you, to follow you. Be glorified, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.